0: Welcome to the Ivy Church Podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org.
1: So, who likes Rocky? There's a proper man thing there going on, but there's a few ladies too. I think you know. Uh, Zoe, by the way, hates Rocky. She's like, I'm never going to watch one of those things. So sometimes there's a compromise. If I'm wanting to be, you know, a bit more romantic comedy, we'll watch Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you'll you'll find in that there's a sort of a common theme. You know, there's sort of um, just people getting knocked down and then getting back up again. You know, people sort of having to go through some battles and some obstacles, and, you know, the thing about... In one of the Rocky films, which I've watched all of them, at one point, they actually make, like, a, a toy Rocky, and the idea is that you can punch this thing and you can keep on knocking it down, but it doesn't matter because you going to get back up again. And, um, you know, what that's one of the reasons why those kind of films... That's why we like them. We talked last week about plots and storylines and movies and there's something around those kind of films whereby somebody comes through adversity and triumphs and has to fight in order to be able to do that. That stirs us up. And the reason I like it is that in some way it gives me hope and it gets me kind of inside singing this song that you don't normally hear in church and that I probably wouldn't want us to listen to all of. I get knocked down, but I get up again the only me down even people who don't like football like what's happened this year what's happened this year Leicester City this team who started out at the beginning of the year 5,000 to 1 that they'd win the league but you know, people are just saying it's a fairy tale story, it's an amazing story, it's the underdog that triumphed, it's the, it's the one that got written off, that was you know, right down there at the bottom of the league in the relegation zone. And, um, then, but they push through and they keep on going, and can it possibly be that they could possibly win? But you know, there's, there's all these kind of stories where it turns out that it, somebody looks like a chump, but on the inside they're a champ. And they've got heart and they struggle and they fail, and against all the odds, somehow, they come through. And anything like that, those kind of stories, we love them because they give us hope. Rocky said in that clip to his son, Nothing's gonna hit you harder than life. Nothing's gonna hit you harder than life. What's life been hitting you with recently? Now, there's some things that are in danger of knocking you down and beating you down and potentially even keeping you down. What challenges are you facing today? Is it struggles in the workplace? It could be, you know... Contention, even with people that you're working with, or it could be that you just feel sort of empty and like you know purposeless, and um, and maybe you wonder if you'll ever get that relationship that you were hoping for, or maybe you're in a relationship and you and it's struggling and it's kind of on the rocks in some way, or or maybe Robert was just talking about debt. It just feels like there's this you know there's there's too much month left at the end of the money and you don't know what you're going to do into the future and or maybe it's not just you it's perhaps it's somebody in the family who's hurting and and you know you're just going to feel down and depressed and disillusioned and and what do we do when we get into that place now a movie might encourage you for a night but the good news that we celebrate here every week is that Jesus Christ can give us hope for life for every single circumstance and for every person in life and he will come in the middle of your mess and he will bring you peace when you've got problems. He will give you hope and a future when you didn't think that you had a future, when all you were doing was focusing on the past and the things that had gone wrong. And I know that he'll do it for you because it's what he always does. He did it for the first disciples. He did it so many times. And out of all of the disciples, there's one who stands out for me as being the example of this. And if you know your Bible, you're gonna know the answer to this. Who was it in the Bible that Jesus gave the nickname Rocky to? Peter. Simon Peter, son of Jonah, was his real name. But Jesus said to him one day, I'm going to turn you into a rock. And Luke 5 tells us how that started out. And Ben's going to come and read that to me so that when we get a different voice, not just mine. Luke 5.
0: One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by a fisherman who were washing their nets he got into one of the boats the one belonging to simon and asked him to put out a little from shore then he sat down and taught the people from the boat when he finished speaking he said to simon put out into deep water and let the nets for let down the nets for a catch simon answered master For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him.
1: So keep that meeting in mind because... That's going to sound familiar in a little while. It'll just be a few minutes for us, but it's going to be three years for Peter. And actually it's going to be three very up and down years for Peter because that was the kind of guy he was. Even though he became lead disciple, even though he had kind of star quality out of all of them, he stood out as being a leader. Peter was very up and very down. And and as I say, by the end of that time, those years following Jesus, he ends up way down. He ends up in that place where he just feels like quitting, like you've failed, you've let yourself down, you've embarrassed yourself, you're a disgrace to yourself and to God and that's when Jesus comes looking for him. He's not an unbeliever, we meet people like that in the Bible, maybe you're one of those, somebody who yet doesn't believe even that there is a God. This is a believer who's quit believing. Not so much quit believing in God. He can't deny what he's seen and what he's he's known. But he's quit believing that God could use him. He He doesn't believe it's possible for God to ever really use him again in the future. He's a believer who's quit believing. He's down and he's nearly out. And I'm encouraging you to get my new book, Rough Diamonds, I've been saying this the last couple of weeks, and read it, especially if you're a man, but not exclusively. All the proceeds go to Ivy and it's for sale out in the foyer after the service. And there's various chapters in this to do with your finances, to do with your family, Um, it really speaks to men but it speaks to other people too and one of the chapters is all about failure and how we handle it because that's inevitable and we're all going to end up failing at different points through our lives and the guy who is the prime example in that chapter of failure and of that up and down life I even actually draw a little graph of it in the book guess who it is it's Peter Peter is the example of failure. And I'm not going to read from that book. I encourage you to get it. But the main point of that chapter is a failure is something you do, not someone you are. A failure is something you do. It's never, ever, ever something that you are. So who loves Peter? And if you can ask people character in the Bible that you you like, that you most relate to, nine out of 10 Christians are going to say Peter if you want to know why it's because we all fail if you're the one person here who's never failed then I'd like to invite you to come stand up right now and come down the front here so we can all worship you because you'd have to be the son of God you'd have to be God to be that perfect you really would In this Crossroads series, we've been looking at the one person in history who was perfect, who was fully God and fully human, Jesus Christ, and what happened on the cross when Jesus died. And we've been looking at the viewpoint of the cross from all these other people who've been standing around looking at the cross and and their different aspects of looking at the cross. And the problem is with Peter, when we look at him and the cross, you don't find him actually that near to the cross because Peter wasn't there. He was one of those who legged it when the pressure was on. He'd said he would be there. He'd promised that he'd be there very vocally, very loud. When Jesus predicted his denial by all of his friends that he would be uh, taken onto a cross, that he'd be tortured, that he'd be crucified, Peter stood up and said, listen, even if all the rest of them, even all these losers to disown you I will never ever do that you can always count on me Jesus that's what he said and Jesus said to him you know Peter actually I can't by tomorrow morning you'll deny three times you ever even knew me but I've been praying for you Satan as, as to sift you like wheat Peter but I've prayed for you and when you come back you strengthen the rest of these guys that's what I want you to do now that must have stung a proud guy like Peter mustn't it just after he said hey you can rely on me Jesus for Jesus to say no I can't He resolved, he must have done, resolved in his heart at that moment, even more strongly, no, I will never, ever, ever turn away from Jesus. I will always love him. I will show Jesus just how strong my faith is and how much I love him and how faithful I can be. And then it all started to unfold and unravel, just like Jesus said it would do. A landslide of events occurred when Jesus was arrested. The whole world shifted in just a few hours and Simon's feet it turned out we're made of clay and the rock crumbled. And we're going to read about that now. Come on, Ben.
0: Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples, too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they'd made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples, too, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow.
1: Peter's angry shouts fill the smoky air where Jesus is being interrogated. The Bible says that then they brought him out and he's already been badly beaten. Then it says Jesus looked at Peter and Peter looked at Jesus and realised, oh, he must have heard everything. And the thought of it breaks Peter's heart. There was Jesus being lied about, being spat on, being surrounded by his enemies, being treated like an animal. And what comes to his ears but the sound of his best friend, the one who said, I'd fight for you, I'd be willing to lay down my life for you. Saying, Jesus, no, I never heard of him. And he, he swore, it says in another version. He actually swore. I never knew him. I'm not one of his followers. Now, I've blown it pretty big over the years. I've done some things that I'm not proud of. Before and after knowing Jesus Christ, both BC and AD. But no matter what you may have done... I can't imagine a more complete, abject failure than Peter must have felt at that very moment. This wasn't just a moral failure. It was a complete spiritual, emotional, relational breakdown moment. He just denied everything that his life was about. Everything that he'd left behind and said, now I'm going to follow Jesus for. Every, every sacrifice that he'd ever made. Everything that he'd ever said. He'd been, he'd been one of the chosen people and actually chosen to be one of the leaders of the chosen ones. Jesus had taken him into places. He'd taken nobody else. He'd seen miracles that nobody else had seen. He'd been designated as chief leader of the disciples. Somebody who was going to make a massive difference for the kingdom of God. For all of his bravado, all of his self-confidence, even after Jesus warned him, within a few short hours, Peter totally disowns Jesus. No, 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 cock-a-doodle-doo. And he wants to eat those words, some rock. Have you ever been there? Like Peter, big, bold promises. I'd never do that. I can't understand why anybody would do that. I'm stronger than that. I'm better than that. Why would anybody do that? I'd never do that. And then you found yourself doing it or something very, very similar. You find yourself in the same place. You go back to that old place. You go back to that old relationship. You go back to that old behavioural pattern and you end up feeling like an abject, pathetic failure. So here's the really important question that we need to get from this today. Who is God to me after I sin? When I really, really blow it. What's God like then? When I try and stand up tall and I end up smack down flat on my face. When I tell the big lie, when I mess up in my marriage, when I mess up with my money, when I blow my top, when I gossip, when I betray everything that I know to be right and do anything that I know I really shouldn't be doing, when I make a mockery of my belief in God, and if I'm a Christian, all those inspirational things that are put all over Facebook, talking about Jesus, suddenly now, does God write me off for good? like he could at that time, when I do something bad. And the good news is that we don't have to guess because the Bible shows us through Peter, who screwed up beyond belief, who then came face to face with Jesus. And I can't imagine the guilt, the fear, the heartache that Peter felt at that dreaded moment. But have you ever done something that you knew was wrong and you vowed that you'd never, you'd never do? And then you find yourself in that lonely, lowest place That's exactly where Peter was. That's how he must have felt when he screwed up that badly. He dropped so far down the league of people that God could use at that moment. They killed Jesus. They put him on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, it's empty, Easter Sunday. She finds the stones being rolled away. Then Jesus appears fully alive to her and says, tell the guys and Peter, I'm back. People started to see Jesus. He appeared to them in different ways in various places. Doubting Thomas sees Jesus, meets with him. He said, I'll never believe unless I can touch him, unless I can put my hand in the wounds. He appears and says, come on then. And then he believes and he says, my Lord and my God. And he believes. Now, if I was finishing the gospel story, if I was writing one like John did, I would at that point think, what a great ending that is. Doubting Thomas believes. And and then, and and then John says, and I've written these things so that you will believe also. Now, I write some stuff, and I kind of think, that's a good ending. If that was me, if that was my movie, I'd be like, okay, cue music, dramatic finish, and roll the credits at that point. But you know how sometimes in a film, there's a kind of false ending? You think it's finished, but it hasn't finished yet. Well, that's what happens now, because John 21 follows. And the fact is, if we left it in John 20 with in Thomas... Some of us will be asking, well, what about Peter? What happened to Peter? Because he's not appeared in any of these meetings yet. So John's gospel can't finish, shouldn't finish until it tells us what happened to Peter. And I'm so glad that it does that because this tells us not just about Peter's story, but also this is going to be my story and your story too, perhaps. Because everything's changed. Jesus is alive, but it hasn't changed in Peter yet. And this is where the resurrection gets real. How else are we going to know what God is like when he meets people who've blown it big time? Peter's failed in every way. What would happen when Peter meets Jesus now? The guilt and the shame that he's feeling. You know, he must have felt like, I just deserve it. I just deserve even eternal damnation. Never mind not being able to be used by Jesus again. But inside he longs for forgiveness. He hopes for a second chance. And then as soon as he thinks that, there's a little voice that comes along and says, ha, as if. As if that's ever going to be for you, after what you've done. That voice of shame that comes along and wants to keep him from ever putting his head above the parapet again. After what I've done, after what people know about me, I must have committed that unforgivable sin. And there's nobody could ever be worse. Nobody could ever be lower than me. I know what I'll have to do. Maybe if Jesus appears, I can just hide at the back of the room again, like I did when he appeared to Thomas. So what did Peter do? The same thing most of us would do in that same situation. Jesus was done with him, so I might as well be done with Jesus. Have you ever been there? Maybe there's somebody here today and you're there now. Do you feel like you can't really have anything more to do with God? Peter went right back to trying to do what he was doing before he met Jesus. He went back to being a fisher of fish. He went to go and do what he knew best. Something that he knew he could always do. Something that he could always control. He went back to that. He said to the rest of the guys, let's open our fishing business again. Somebody's got to make sure that we have food on the table. And Peter's a leader. So the Bible says six other guys came with him. And they went back on what they were called to do. And they followed him too. Because that will always happen, by the way. If you turn your back on God and you start to go in a different direction, nobody ever does that on their own. It always takes out a whole bunch of people who come with you. You have to remember that. And you may wonder right now today, as I'm speaking, if you've pushed the limits too far. If, I've counseled so many people over the years. This is a big question that comes up. People feel like I have committed the unforgivable sin. I've had people say that. I feel like I've. they won't even tell me what it is. They're just locked up in shame so much. My sins, they're just too big, they're too great. And and they feel like, yeah, I signed up as a disciple, which is like an apprentice, but now the apprentice, the only thing I'm ever going to hear when I stand before God is, you're fired. That's all I can expect. And the enemy of your soul is going to tell you that that's the truth about it. But then, you know what I do in those counselling situations sometimes? I'll open the Bible at John chapter 21 because Peter thought the same thing. And then he came face to face with Jesus and discovered something so radical that he hardly knew what to say or what to do. And there's three lessons that I want us to get from this. And then we're going to stand and pray and respond if any of them fits where you are. Number one, don't look back and condemn yourself. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Same place as before in Luke 5. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going to go fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realise it was Jesus. And he called out to them, lads, have you got any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore it was full of large fish 153 but even with so many the net was not torn Jesus said to them come and have breakfast none of the disciples dared ask who are you they knew it was the Lord Jesus came took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish and this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead these depressed disciples they're probably thinking who's this landlubber who suddenly appears starts telling us what to do But when they did what Jesus said, a miracle takes place straight away. The nets are full of fish. Why why were they empty before? Well, Jesus once said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's why when Peter went back to his old life, in the old place, it was empty. Fishing all night, catching nothing. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe it's not a bad thing. If it did. Because you know, you can find you've met with God, you've known God, but once you go away from Him, there's no real enjoyment in life. You can end up out all night in every bar in Manchester finding nothing. If you've met with Jesus, it spoils you for that kind of life because you know He's real. And it's really hard to be ever happy again when you've met somebody who is just the best friend. And you end up, if you're too discouraged to keep going forward with God, because you keep looking back at the thing that defeated you. And then Jesus asks a question of the guys, doesn't he? When God asks a question, by the way, it isn't because he needs to know the answer. God is God and he knows the answer. He's asking you because he wants you to make sure that you know the answer. Have you caught anything yet? What's he really saying? How's that going for you? That you being in charge thing. You sorting it all out yourself kind of a life. How is that new life working out for you? He doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does expect us to be honest. He can't do anything with us while we're still lying to ourselves. When we admit, okay, it isn't working, I'm not happy where I am, that relationship isn't working out, I've put myself in charge, but I don't actually feel like I am in charge of anything, and I don't know where any of it's going. And there's times when I wake up in the morning feeling hungover and hollow and dirty, and even though I've pretended to look so strong and capable to everybody else, actually that's just a show, because on the inside, you know, if anybody really knew my heart, But then as soon as you start to do what Jesus says, miracles start to happen. We heard that before from Robert. What if this was an intentional miracle on Jesus' part? And I don't just mean the bit about filling the nets. I mean the bit about the fact that the fish never came near that boat all night. They never caught a single one. Maybe Jesus was keeping them all away just so they could know. But actually, it wasn't to remind Peter about his fall what if he was there to remind Peter of his call that's big I didn't say it right so I'm going to say it again (laughs) what if Jesus did the miracle and was waiting there on the beach not to remind Peter about his fall but about his call what if Jesus was saying to you I predicted this I'm not surprised by any of it. I knew when you'd blow it, where you'd blow it, who you'd blow it with, what you'd blow it on. I factored it all in and I've loved you throughout all of it. And I've prayed for you all the way through. And just because you failed doesn't mean you're a failure as far as I'm concerned. And, and there's an enemy of your soul who is going to speak to you and remind you about the fall. And you're reminding yourself of that all the time anyway, but I'm here to remind you about your call. I loved seeing this on Facebook. In the week, Tracy said I could share it with you today. This is a wonderful lady who comes to Ivy. You might have seen it. She's served in various ways on the welcome team here and everything. And the changes God has done since she started to come in here are amazing. This is, she just put this up on her Facebook. This week, today I'm thankful for how my life has changed I am a child of God we just sang that today the 5th of May I'm two years clean from gambling I remember well as I'd done nearly two years ago and went to Blackpool with mum for the weekend met up with my sister who'd taken a dog to a dog show I went off for a walk alone and had an urge it's the same as somebody with drink addiction I stopped by some slot machines threw a tenner in thought I'd be okay as I used to spend hundreds and hundreds and couldn't stop till I had nothing and this day I kept going back to cash machines till I'd spent up the rent I felt sick. I thought I'd just get over this and be able to walk past and throw a few quid in and walk on by. I ended up winning it back. A one-off. I told myself, I am a compulsive gambler and I can never gamble a penny like I haven't smoked for 11 years. And I always knew I could never have one more cig again. But one day at a time. Here's the picture of that day that reminds me in Blackpool. I am powerless. I'm set free. That's a change in the story, isn't it? You know, you, that's so honest. And then here's something more honest. This is something more true. I am set free. My chains are breaking. I'm recovering from other addictions too. Jesus is the way. He can set you free. No longer a slave. I am not defined by my past. I am not a gambler. I'm a child of God. So don't look back and condemn yourself and don't look inside and centre on yourself. Carry on with the reading. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say anything here about Peter's past. He's totally focused on the present because that's what's going to determine the future. He's focusing on what you will do now and in the future, not what you did in the past. And he's got a job for you and he's got a job for Peter. And there's a job interview that takes place and there's three questions that he asks him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's the qualification. Peter feels disqualified. Here's the qualification. Do you pass? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? If you answer that, he, he wants to use you. He's going to use you. See, he asks him, do you love me more than these? And lots of Bible scholars have wondered what these is. Does he mean these fish? Does these lovely fish? Does he mean these boats and these nets and... Lots of Bible scholars think that he means these are the disciples because earlier he'd said, even if these all depart and deny you, I never will. But the main question he's really asking is not about which one of these is it, it's this. Do you really love me, Peter? Do you love me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets angry a little bit because he's impetuous and he's hot-headed and he's like three times and it smells of charcoal because the only other word that's used charcoal is used twice in the Bible and it's here, And the, the, this fire that he stood by when three times he denied him and three times he gets answered and he's thinking, what's going on here, Jesus? Are you trying to embarrass me? No, he wanted to take away the shame. He wanted him to get over the fall so that he could rise up to his call. But what has he become? A fisher of fish. He's called to be a fisher of men and actually now he's being called to be a shepherd. He's called to go and love other people. How do you prove that you love Jesus? It's not by saying it, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's not even by singing it. I love you, I love you, I love you. It's not that. You can do it all you want. Here's the proof. Go and love somebody. Go and feed somebody. Go and care for somebody. That's the proof. Don't tell Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you if you're not loving anybody else. That's the proof, that's what he's looking for in our lives. What if Jesus wasn't looking for Peter's strengths? He was able to use his weaknesses. He was actually able to use his brokenness and now because he's a broken man he's far more able to be used than he ever was when he was the proud guy who said I'll never, I'll never, I'll never but did and did and did. I know what that's like in my own life. The times, I've never invited it, but God has broken me at times and every time the places that he's broken me, I find that, that the, the wounds and the love that he puts in to heal them become something that's like oil for somebody else as well to help them through their pain. Whatever the things you think disqualify you actually are what qualifies you most to help somebody else? So... Don't look back and condemn yourself. Don't look inside and condemn yourself. And finally, we're done with this. Don't look around and compare yourself. Peter turned. And saw the disciple who Jesus loved, that's John, was following them. This was the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that got to do with you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the brothers that this disciple wouldn't die. But Jesus never said he wouldn't die. He only said, if I wanted him to remain until I return, what's that to you? I'm the one who testifies to these things and I wrote them down and my testimony is true Jesus did so many other things too if every one of them were written down I suppose even the whole world would not have room for all the books that would be written so Jesus says Peter follow me it's not a difficult command to understand and he starts off walking somewhere and he thinks Peter's walking with him but what's Peter doing he's looking away he's looking at somebody else he's comparing himself to John you just told me about me but what about him How often do we do that? Peter's problems came every single time he took his eyes off Jesus onto something else. At one point he's walking on water, he's actually doing it. He's got Jesus in his sights telling him you can do it. And he takes a step and he takes another step and he takes another step and sinks because he's looking at the wind and he's looking at the waves and he's taking his eyes off Jesus. Sometimes he put his eyes on himself and his own strengths and he would sink every time he did that. And now, instead of following Jesus like he's been told, he asks about John. Instead, Jesus had just told Peter exactly what was going to happen in his future, sometime in the, in the future. He went, Peter had an amazing future after this. He went on to write bits of the Bible. He's the first guy he spoke, spoken. 3,000 people became Christians. He's the first one who took the gospel outside of being a Jewish thing and into being a non-Jewish thing for the whole world too. And then the way that he died, church history records is that he was stretched out on a cross and he was crucified just like Jesus, in fact not just like Jesus because he even said, I don't deserve to die like Jesus crucify me upside down and so they did Jesus just predicted that death to Peter now does that sound like bad news to you? some people are nodded yeah actually Jesus knows there's more to life than life this life is just a test and a trial and it's temporary this is good news Because what he's actually saying to Peter is, I know you failed me. I know you ran out on me. I know that you you said that you would die for me and you would never deny me. There's going to come a day, Peter, there's going to come a day when that will be true. One day you're going to make good on the promise that you made that you'll never ever deny me. And so, don't go looking at somebody else and saying, What about him? and what about him? Because never mind him. What about you? You follow me. So, don't look around at anybody else. Actually, I'm going to say this to you now. Jesus is, I believe, talking to some people here. In a moment, we're going to have a response time. Don't look back at your sin. And let that knock you down and stop you from standing up and following the plan that Jesus has for you. Don't look inside yourself all the time because that will stop you reaching out in love to somebody else that God wants you to go and love in a needy world. But maybe some of you actually, the problem is this one. You spend a lot of time comparing yourself to somebody else other than to the, the one that Jesus loves, that is you. You're the one who Jesus loves as well. And you come to Jesus and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I'm comparing myself and I feel like I'm rubbish all the time. And I feel like I'm this inside. I'm not sure I've got the gifts and all that. You know what Jesus says to you, gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Get over yourself. Stop comparing yourself to other people. I'm not bothered about what's going on with them. I'm bothered. I'm talking to you now. What about you? Are you going to follow me? You don't know all of their full story. Only I do. It's not about them. It's about me and you. You follow me. So will you follow him? If you want to say yes to following him and you're able to stand, please stand now. Some people this is like a first time thing, this is for other people it's a recommitment. Doesn't matter. God's been speaking to you. If you if one of those three things was true and you know you've been looking into your sin and you've been feeling like i am messed up and God couldn't possibly use you, He can stand up and offer yourself. If you feel like uh, all the best was in the past, well, God's saying no, all the best is in the future if you do what I say. So stand up and say you want to follow him. Isn't it great Jesus can use messed up people who don't get everything perfect? If you feel like you've been knocked down, but God's been saying to you through this talk, it's time for you to get up again, please stand up now. I want to pray for you. If life's hit you hard and you feel like you've been struggling, and you needed that strength inside of you, then please stand up now. Don't look inside for the answers. Look to Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on him. If you've been wondering whether or not you should, and God's been speaking to you about something, stand up now. Because he wants to use you. He loves you no matter what. Stop looking back and counting yourself out. Here's the question. Job interview. Hands up. If you love him, do you love me? That's the question. That's all he wants to know. If you love me, you can love people for me. You can love people like me. If you love Jesus, Jesus will use you. If you've messed up, it's okay. He knew about it. He factored it all in. He forgives you. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from every kind of righteousness. So I pray now that you would have healing and restoration. There are all those who are responding to this in every area. And for every lie that has come in and told you that the, 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 the best was in the past and that God can't use you. I break that off you in the name of Jesus Christ now and say that the future that Jesus has for you is better than the past. There's more. There's always more. You've not run out of second chances, whether it's the 52nd chance. You know what? He stops counting. He doesn't count our sins against us, the Bible says. So he's not even counting.
0: Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.